Section 19 of The Adventures of Odysseus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Adventures of Odysseus and the Tale of Troy by Parak Colum. Part 2. Chapter 4. Then Odysseus spoke before the company and said, O Alcinous, famous king, it is good to listen to a minstrel such as Demodocus is. And as for me, I know of no greater delight than when men feast together with open hearts, when tables are plentifully spread, when wine-bearers pour out good wine into cups, and when a minstrel sings to them noble songs. This seems to me to be happiness indeed. But thou hast asked me to speak of my wanderings and my toils. Ah, where can I begin that tale? For the gods have given me more woes than a man can speak of. But first I will declare to you my name and my country. I am Odysseus, son of Laertes, and my land is Ithaca, an island around which many islands lie. Ithaca is a rugged isle, but a good nurse of hardy men, and I for one have found that there is no place fairer than a man's own land. But now I will tell thee, king, and tell the princes and captains and counsellors of the Phaeacians the tale of my wanderings. The wind bore my ships from the coast of Troy, and with our white sails hoisted we came to the cape that is called Malaya. Now if we had been able to double this cape, we should soon have come to our own country all unhurt. But the north wind came, and swept us from our course, and drove us wandering past Cythera. Then for nine days we were borne onwards by terrible winds, and away from all known lands. On the tenth day we came to a strange country. Many of my men landed there. The people of that land were harmless and friendly, but the land itself was most dangerous. For there grew there the honey-sweet fruit of the lotus that makes all men forgetful of their past and neglectful of their future. And those of my men who ate the lotus that the dwellers of that land offered became forgetful of their country and of the way before them. They wanted to abide forever in the land of the lotus. They wept when they thought of all the toils before them and of all they had endured. I led them back to the ships and I had to place them beneath the benches and leave them in bonds. And I commanded those who had ate of the lotus to go at once aboard the ships. Then, when I had got all my men upon the ships, we made haste to sail away. Later we came to the land of the Cyclops, a giant people. There is a waste island outside the harbour of their land, and on it there is a well of bright water that has poplars growing round it. We came to that empty island, and we beached our ships and took down our sails. As soon as the dawn came, we went through the empty island, starting the wild goats that were there in flocks, and shooting them with our arrows. We killed so many wild goats there that we had nine for each ship. Afterwards we looked across to the land of the Cyclops, and we heard the sound of voices, and saw the smoke of fires, and heard the bleating of flocks of sheep and goats. I called my companions together, and I said, It would be well for some of us to go to that other island. With my own ship, and with the company that is on it, I shall go there. The rest of you abide here. I will find out what manner of men live there, and whether they will treat us kindly and give us gifts that are due to strangers. 
gifts of provision for our voyage. We embarked, and we came to land. There was a cave near the sea, and round the cave there were mighty flocks of sheep and goats. I took twelve men with me, and I left the rest to guard the ship. We went into the cave and found no man there. There were baskets filled with cheeses, and vessels of whey, and pails, and bowls of milk. My men wanted me to take some of the cheeses, and drive off some of the lambs and kids, and come away. But this I would not do, for I would rather that he who owned the stores would give us of his own free will the offerings that were due to strangers. While we were in the cave, he whose dwelling it was returned to it. He carried on his shoulder a great pile of wood for his fire. Never in our lives did we see a creature so frightful as this Cyclops was. He was a giant in size, and what made him terrible to behold, he had but one eye, and that single eye was in his forehead. He cast down on the ground the pile of wood that he carried, making such a din that we fled in terror into the corners and recesses of the cave. Next he drove his flocks into the cave, and began to milk his ewes and goats. And when he had the flocks within, he took up a stone that not all our strengths could move, and set it as a door to the mouth of the cave. The Cyclops kindled his fire, and when it blazed up, he saw us in the corners and recesses. He spoke to us. We knew not what he said, but our hearts were shaken with terror at the sound of his deep voice. I spoke to him, saying that we were Agamemnon's men on our way home from King Priam's city, and I begged him to deal with us kindly, for the sake of Zeus who was ever in the company of strangers and suppliants. But he answered me, saying, We Cyclops pay no heed to Zeus, nor to any of the gods. In our strength and our power we deem that we are mightier than they. I will not spare thee. Neither will I give thee aught for the sake of Zeus, but only as my own spirit bids me. And first I would have thee tell me how you came to our land. I knew it would be better not to let the Cyclops know that my ship and my companions were at the harbour of the island. Therefore I spoke to him guilefully, telling him that my ship had been broken on the rocks, and that I and the men who were with me were the only ones who had escaped utter doom. I begged again that he would deal with us as just men dealt with strangers and suppliants. But he, without saying a word, laid hands upon two of my men, and swinging them by the legs dashed their brains out on the earth. He cut them to pieces and ate them before our very eyes. We wept and we prayed to Zeus as we witnessed a deed so terrible. Next the Cyclops stretched himself amongst his sheep and went to sleep beside the fire. Then I debated whether I should take my sharp sword in my hand, and feeling where his heart was, stab him there. But second thoughts held me back from doing this. I might be able to kill him when he slept, but not even with my companions could I roll away the great stone that closed the mouth of the cave. Dawn came, and the Cyclops awakened, kindled his fire, and milked his flocks. Then he seized two others of my men and made ready for his midday meal, and now he rolled away the great stone and drove his flocks out of the cave. I had pondered on a way of escape, and I had thought of something that might be done to baffle the Cyclops. I had with me a great skin of sweet wine, and I thought that if I could make him drunken with wine, I and my companions might be able for him. But there were other preparations to be made first. 
On the floor of the cave there was a great beam of olive wood which the Cyclops had cut to make a club when the wood should be seasoned. It was yet green. I and my companions went and cut off a fathom's length of the wood, and sharpened it to a point, and took it to the fire and hardened it in the glow. Then I hid the beam in the recesses of the cave. The Cyclops came back in the evening, and opening up the cave drove in his flocks. Then he closed the cave again with the stone, and went and milked his ewes and his goats. Again he seized two of my companions. I went to the terrible creature with a bowl of wine in my hands. He took it and drank it and cried out, "'Give me another bowl of this, and tell me thy name that I may give thee gifts for bringing me this honey-tasting drink.' Again I spoke to him guilefully, and I said, "'No man is my name, no man my father and mother call me.' "'Give me more of the drink, no man,' he shouted and the gift that I shall give to thee is that I shall make thee the last of thy fellows to be eaten. I gave him wine again, and when he had taken the third bowl, he sank backwards with his face upturned, and sleep came upon him. Then I, with four companions, took that beam of olive wood, now made into a hard and pointed stake, and thrust it into the ashes of the fire. When the pointed end began to glow, we drew it out of the flame. Then my companions laid hold on the great stake, and dashing at the cyclops, thrust it into his eye. He raised a terrible cry that made the rocks ring, and we dashed away into the recesses of the cave. His cries brought other cyclops to the mouth of the cave, and they, naming him as Polyphemus, called out and asked him what ailed him to cry. "'No man,' he shrieked out, "'no man is slaying me by guile!' They answered him, saying, if no man is slaying thee, there is nothing we can do for thee, Polyphemus. What ails thee has been sent to thee by the gods. Saying this, they went away from the mouth of the cave, without attempting to move away the stone. Polyphemus then, groaning with pain, rolled away the stone, and sat before the mouth of the cave with his hands outstretched, thinking that he would catch us as we dashed out. I showed my companions how we might pass by him. I laid hands on certain rams of the flock, and I lashed three of them together with supple rods. Then on the middle ram I put a man of my company. Thus every three rams carried a man. As soon as the dawn had come, the rams hastened out to the pasture, and as they passed Polyphemus laid hands on the first and the third of each three that went by. They passed out, and Polyphemus did not guess that a ram that he did not touch carried out a man. For myself, I took a ram that was the strongest and fleeciest of the whole flock, and I placed myself under him, clinging to the wool of his belly. As this ram, the best of all his flock, went by, Polyphemus, laying his hands upon him, said, Would that you, the best of my flock, were endowed with speech, so that you might tell me where no man who has blinded me has hidden himself. The ram went by him, and when he had gone a little way from the cave, I loosed myself from him, and went and set my companions free. We gathered together many of Polyphemus' sheep, and we drove them down to our ship. The men we had left behind would have wept when they heard what happened to six of their companions. But I bade them take on board the sheep we had brought, and pull the ship away from that land. Then, when we had drawn a certain distance from the shore, I could not forbear to shout my taunts into the cave of Polyphemus. "'Cyclops!' I cried. "'You thought that you had the company of a fool and a weakling to eat. But you have been worsted by me, and your evil deeds have been punished.' 
So I shouted, and Polyphemus came to the mouth of the cave with great anger in his heart. He took up rocks and cast them at the ship, and they fell before the prow. The men bent to the oars and pulled the ship away, or it would have been broken by the rocks he cast. And when we were further away I shouted to him, "'Cyclops, if any man should ask who it was set his mark upon you, say that he was Odysseus, the son of Laertes.' Then I heard Polyphemus cry out, I call upon Poseidon, the god of the sea, whose son I am, to avenge me upon you, Odysseus. I call upon Poseidon to grant that you, Odysseus, may never come to your home, or, if the gods have ordained your return, that you come to it after much toil and suffering, in an evil plight, and in a stranger's ship, to find sorrow in your home. So Polyphemus prayed, and to my evil fortune Poseidon heard his prayer but we went on in our ship rejoicing at our escape. We came to the waste-island where my other ships were. All the company rejoiced to see us, although they had to mourn for their six companions slain by Polyphemus. We divided amongst the ships the sheep we had taken from Polyphemus' flock, and we sacrificed to the gods. At the dawn of the next day we raised the sails on each ship, and we sailed away. End of section 19